Stephen Sondheim tells us in Sondheim on Sondheim, a lot of people think that a lot of the songs I write are autobiographical, and they think that the characters I write are about me. They think I'm George in Sunday in the Park with George, or I'm Bobby in Company. But in fact, there's only been one autobiographical song I've ever written, and that was Opening Doors in Merrily We Roll Along. It's about two writers trying to bust their way into show business and their best friend, a girl who's a novelist. And it's about me, and it's about Hal Prince, and it's about Mary Rogers, and it's about Sheldon Harnick, and it's about Jerry Bach. It's about all of us in the 50s knocking on the doors of producers trying to get heard. In this scene, composer Frank and lyricist Charlie are hard at work on a song. In this same song, Sondheim tweaks his own nose as opening doors continues at an audition for the hotshot producer Joe Josephson, who thinks the song is too avant-garde. Who wants to live in New York? Who wants to worry the noise, the dirt, the heat? Once the garbage cans clanging in the street, suddenly I do. They're always popping their cork. I hate that line. The cops, the cabbies, the sales girls up at sacks. You gotta have a real taste for maniacs. Suddenly I do. That's great. That's swell. The other stuff is well. It isn't every day I hear a score this strong. The fellas, if I may, there's only one thing wrong. There's not a tune you can hum. Not a tune, you go bum 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 da dum. You need a tune, to go bum 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 da dum. Give me a melody. Why can't you throw them a crumb? What's wrong with letting them tap their toes a bit? I'll let you know when Stravinsky has a hit. Give me some melody. Ah, sure, I know it's not that kind of show. But can't you have a score that's sort of in between? But play a little more, I'll show you what I mean. To live in New York I always hated the dirt, the heat, the noise But ever since I met you, I Listen, boys, maybe it's me But that's just not a hum of a mum of a mum of a melody Right, more work hard, leave your name with a girl Less of a god, leave your name with a girl Just write a plain old melody Some Enchanted Evening. Now, that's a plain old melody, and yes, you were right. It was Jason Alexander of Seinfeld fame. We know it is the result of hard work, that perspiration, that the ultimate fruits of their labors produce this song. like a song We started quiet and slow with no surprise And then one morning I woke to realize We had a good 
good thing going. It's not the hit song from their first hit show. And that's Meta with a small m. Meta from the early 80s, Meta meaning self-referential, a Broadway show with characters writing music for a Broadway show. We had this good thing but that's only one aspect of what Stephen Sondheim is up to here. And Timothy Piles wants to make sure the Marywood University production of Merrily We Roll Along reflects the richness of the lyrics and the score. Timothy Piles is director of theater at Marywood University in Scranton. And when we spoke by phone, we asked why he chose Merrily We Roll Along this time around. There's sort of three considerations that go into choosing a show. The biggest one is what is going to serve the students? What will be challenging to them in the right way for their education and their growth? And can we choose something that is going to give appropriate opportunities, pedagogically appropriate opportunities to the students who need those opportunities at various stages, from our first-year students all the way to our graduating seniors. So that's sort of the biggest factor. Then the second factor is what do we think our audience will enjoy and get something out of and, you know, have a, have a positive experience with, even if it's you know, sometimes their shows are challenging in certain ways, but that's still a positive experience. So the audience and what they need is sort of the second factor. And then the third factor is what show do I, as a director, feel like I can I can get passionate about? What what show can I sort of dig into and feel excited about? Because that's really important because we spend so much time on it. If you're not excited about it, it's, it's a bit of a slog. Now, this is certainly a time when people think about Stephen Sondheim because of his passing. Mm. Did that have anything to do with this choice? You know, it didn't have anything to do with the choice. We chose the show before he passed. We chose it actually this past summer, so it was well before he passed. But certainly it has given extra poignancy to the production and has... You know, it's sort of serendipitous, I guess, that we chose it in this particular year. And it's given us an opportunity to reflect a little bit on his legacy and what he sort of bestowed on on all of us with his with his writing. So it's been really great. It's been a wonderful thing. We're of course very sad that he that he passed, but it's been a gift, uh, a serendipitous gift that we were able to work on his material. As a theater professional, how did you begin to encounter the work of Stephen Sondheim and make sense of him and the work he did? You know, back when I was a student, the thing that professors and professionals in the theater used to always say was that Sondheim was the Shakespeare of musical theater. That was a sort of common phrase that you would hear. Sondheim is the Shakespeare of musical theater. And so in some ways, that little phrase kind of became my entry point, because when you're working with Shakespeare, the thing that's critical to understand is that all of the words are carefully 
chosen. All of the words have a sort of kaleidoscope of meaning attached to them, that the, the language is paramount. And in Sondheim, I think what people mean when they say that, and I think it's correct, is that he elevated, he elevated the genre of musical theater by going beyond just creating a sort of entertaining spectacle, by going beyond doing something that was sort of fun or flashy or spectacular and trying to create texts that were really, really rich, really, really rich and complex and intricate and deep with a lot of, with a lot of meaning connected to the language a lot to unpack in terms of the content of the language. So he really, you know, his lyrics are quite something. They're really complicated, and they're really they're complicated musically, but they're also complicated just in terms of what the ideas are that he's dealing with and the, the sort of level at which he's dealing with the human experience. So that's kind of my that's kind of my way in is I, I look at him as when you're doing Sondheim, you're not just putting on a show the way that certain other musicals lean more in that direction. You know, if you're putting on Beauty and the Beast, you're you're putting on Beauty and the Beast and that's fine. That's fine. It is what it is. But it's you know, it's a fun show, it's a it's a, a nice story and there's some lovely music and but it, that's sort of it. But a Sondheim show is a much deeper and richer and more complex experience, which makes it a joy to work on. It also makes it really hard, but that's appropriate, especially for students. You will then be able to bring us this show, but it's a show we may not be as familiar with as Sweeney Todd, for example. Yeah, Merrily We Roll Along is it's certainly one of his... I guess, lesser-known musicals. I mean, real sort of Sondheim heads are very familiar with it, of course. Uh, but certainly compared to, like, Sweeney Todd, as you mentioned, or Into the Woods, it's not produced quite as often. A lot of that goes back to... It was first produced on Broadway in 1981. It wasn't really very successful commercially. And, you know, I think there's a lot of different reasons for that and so forth. But whatever the reasons are that it didn't really turn into a commercial success in 1981 on Broadway, it then sort of got a reputation as a result of that as being, you know, maybe not as surefire of a of a hit, if you will, than some of his other works. And I think part of that has to do with the structure of the show, which is challenging. So this the show, the structure of the show is that the scenes take place in reverse chronological order. So we start in mid-70s. The first scene in the show is in the mid-70s, and then we work our way backwards, scene by scene, uh, until we're in the mid-50s. And that is a challenging structure, and I think has tripped a lot of people up who have produced the show. Also, I think, you know, has been maybe a little bit more daunting to audiences. Maybe the audiences sometimes have sort of heard that and thought, oh, I don't know, that sounds a little hard to follow, or I'm not sure that sounds like something I want to experience. But he does it, he does it for a really specific reason. It's not just a gimmick. It's not just, 
well, let's do it in reverse chronological order as a kind of, you know, a gimmicky thing. He does it because what Merrily We Roll Along is about is it's a show about trying to think through what are the choices that we make in life that lead us to where we end up. And by going backwards, he allows us to first see where all the characters end up, which is not a very great place. It's not a very happy place that they're all in in 1976 when the, when the show starts. And then he rewinds, and we see how they got there. What were the choices they made? You know, what were the mistakes they made? What were the consequential moments where they could have gone one way or the other way, and they chose the way they chose, and it led them to this outcome? And then by the time we get to the beginning, the show actually has a happy ending. That's, a, that's the tricky thing to get with the show, because the very first scene is an incredibly hopeful and optimistic scene, because it's these young people just starting out, and they haven't made any of the mistakes yet, and they haven't screwed anything up yet, and they're, they're full of hope and optimism and rich with possibilities, and that's the final scene of the show. So it's it's really funny because the show has a the show has a happy ending. That's the last scene of the show is this wonderfully optimistic, hopeful scene. But I think where a lot of people have gotten tripped up, they think, wait a second, though, I can't really give in to that optimism and that emotion of this final scene because I know where it ends up. I know where it goes, and it goes to an unhappy place. But I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I, I told my cast. If this is just a show where the characters are hopeful and then they screw it up and they end up unhappy, that's not a show I'm very interested in producing. I mean, that's just not a terribly interesting show. What I am interested interested in, though, is the idea of evaluating your life and trying to think about, you know, we all love to ask the question, if I had it to do over again, what would I do differently? Right. If I could start again at the beginning, what would I do differently? And this show allows the characters that, that possibility. It, it does rewind their lives, and we end at the beginning. And so we get the chance to say, I think what he wants the audience to walk away with is saying, what if today, what if instead of thinking about all the mistakes I've made in the past, what if I think about the fact that as of this moment, right now, I'm starting the next chapter, and can I be more thoughtful about my choices this time? Can I be more intentional about what I want to prioritize this time? Starting now, starting today, and going forward. That's what I think he wants people to walk away from the show thinking about, not some depressing narrative about sort of fatalism or something. Now talk to us about the music. Does it reflect the time or the dialogue, reflect the 70s back to the 50s? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. There's a sense of the changing style, and that's reflected. Physically, it's reflected in the dialogue, even on the level of colloquial vocabulary that they use that sort of adjusts as time moves backwards in costumes, in sets, and all of those things. We see that change in style. You know, one of the really interesting things musically about the show is that the score also operates in reverse, so that we start with, in the first act, we get reprises of songs, we get the original, non-reprised version in the second act, 
which is usually flipped, right? We get the song, and then we get the reprise later in the show, but it's reversed, which is really interesting. And the whole show sort of functions in this way where you you sort of remember, you see moments later in the show, and you're like, oh, now that moment from before makes sense. And, oh, now I understand. Oh, now that song that I already heard, there's much more resonance to it now because now I know how it how the lyrics changed between the first version of the song and the later-in-life version of the song. A lot of that in the show, especially with the music, you're sort of gaining insight on things you already heard later, which is is just a very, very interesting experience and not a typical one, which I think is is fun. And it's um, it's a fun period, the 60s, 50s, 60s and 70s is a fun period stylistically, so that's always enjoyable to play around a little bit in there. Some some bold some bold color palettes. <laughs> also, when you're talking about the music, you all are part of the music theater and dance program. So, do you yes. have access to live musicians? Oh yes, yes. One of the great things that I think people will really really enjoy, you know, if you will, selling points for audience members is that the show is going to sound amazing. It's fully orchestrated. You know, most of the time when this show is done, frankly, most of the time when most shows have a really big pit band or pit orchestra are done, they reduce the orchestration out of necessity, out of practical reasons. They reduce the orchestration. Even when they do use live musicians, they, they sort of bring it down for a more minimal number. We are using full orchestration on all of the instruments written in the score are accounted for. It's a very sort of big band jazzy kind of sound. There's no strings at all. Brass, woodwinds, and uh, keyboards. So there's no there's no strings. So it has that real big band jazzy kind of sound. And uh, yeah, it's gonna sound amazing. It's gonna be big. Big sound uh, and very cool. And there's dance in it. There's dance in the show. Our students have been working really hard on learning their choreography, and it's going to be fun. Who are these people who are going backward in time? What kinds of folks are they? Why would we be interested in their reverse journeys? So it focuses on three best friends, Frank, Charlie, and Mary. And they're three you know, really inseparable best friends. And Frank is a very talented composer, a musical composer, and Charlie is a talented writer. And Mary is also a writer, but she's also just sort of the the glue that keeps the group together and sort of keeps Frank and Charlie. She's sort of the glue between Frank and Charlie in some ways. So Frank and Charlie become collaborators early on because he writes music and Charlie writes words. So they become collaborators and they start writing musicals. And a big part of their journey is sort of the constant contest that they experience between the desire to write from a place of integrity and a place of a sense of making a difference in the world and doing what's important versus the sort of strong poles of the commercial and popular 
And uh, Mary, similarly, she publishes a novel, and then she really struggles with sort of feeling unfulfilled, even in the wake of that seemingly big success. So the journey of the three is on, on sort of the relational level, it's about friendship. It's about how do you, how do you keep friendships? How do you go through life and not have those really supportive, wonderful, close friendships that you had when you were younger just, just fade away? Can you avoid that? Is there a way to stay, to keep nurturing a friendship? And what, what is required to do that and is it worth it? So that's on the relational level. And then sort of the sort of bigger picture, more bird's eye view of what's going on with their journey is about these questions of sort of integrity, which for them is in the arts world, you know, as composers and writers, but I think applies to all of us in terms of how do we strike that balance between trying to be successful and make money and, you know, please the people who are in positions to give us opportunities while at the same time trying to stay true to our values and not so far away from the things we wanted to do with our lives that we end up disappointed later. And from what you say there, then, Tim, it's those kinds of considerations that make this piece speak to us today. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, I think it's a constant struggle. We we live in a capitalist economic system that that incentivizes whatever makes money. And morality, values, even integrity is always going to struggle to sort of stay on par with the push of sort of the system to maximize profit. And that applies whether you're talking about the arts, whether you're talking about media, whether you're talking about education, healthcare, on and on. There's always that struggle. And how we navigate it can be the difference between feeling like we have lived with integrity or feeling like, you know, we've given up some of that. Tell us how and where we can experience the show. Sure. There's four performances. It runs Friday evening, Friday, February 18th, 7.30 p.m., and then the following day, Saturday, February 19th, there are two shows, a matinee at 2 p.m. and an evening show at 7.30. And then the following day on Sunday, February 20th, there is a closing matinee at 2 p.m. So there's four chances to see it at Marywood on campus in the Performing Arts Center in our main auditorium, our large theater, the San Lavaretta Center for the Performing Arts. And... The performances are free. We will be accepting donations, but there will be no charge for admission. What about masks? I know it's a big space, so that's good. Yes, yes. masks are required. The performers themselves on stage while performing will not have masks on. They will be at a considerable distance from the audience, but everybody else and all audience members are required to wear masks. Oi. 
Stephen Sondheim worked hard all throughout his career, genius that he was, and produced shows from Sweeney Todd to Into the Woods and Merrily We Roll Along. He died on November 26th of 2021, and we have a chance to experience Merrily We Roll Along four times at Marywood University. We spoke with Timothy Piles, who is director of theater at Marywood in Scranton, and he explains that we can see the show Friday and Saturday evenings at 7.30. So that's Friday, February 18th, Saturday, February 19th at 7.30. And there will be matinees Saturday afternoon and Sunday the 20th at 2 o'clock, all at the Set Lavergata Center on the campus of Marywood University in Scranton, For more information on the web, it's marywood.edu, marywood.edu.